you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them. Open your Bibles. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 16. This is the fourth in our series, The Wilderness, where God shapes his people. Last week, we were in, we were in Exodus 15, 22 to 27. Do you remember that? Um, we went from no water to bittersweet water to springs of water, okay? So, 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 so that was our story. We're learning these lessons that those in the wilderness learned because Paul says in 1 Corinthians, they were recorded for us to learn. And that, that's just the simplicity of what we're doing. We're walking with them on their journey and learning the lessons we need to learn in our own wilderness. God does not lead us into the wilderness, you all, to deprive us, to keep us from what we need. In fact, the opposite is true. Last week, um, I, I offered this lesson from that particular text just by way of review. I said, um, God works in the wilderness to reveal the bitterness in our own hearts that we might more fully experience the grace of his. That was the, the, one of the bigger lessons from that journey as they went to Elam where there were springs of water. God doesn't lead us in the wilderness to deprive us. And probably more so than any story in the Bible, the story of manna, which, you know, the name means what is it, which is what Carrie and them mentioned. That, the, the, the Hebrew is what is it? They named it what is it because they know what it is. I don't know that there's another story in the Bible that reveals another wilderness story that reveals God is taking them there not to remove, not to deprive them but to bless them. The first seven verses of chapter 16, that's the part I'm gonna walk us through and then I'm gonna summarize the whole. There are two parts to this in the beginning. He, he sets the stage for this and I've got it broken out in this way. He talks about two things, the grumbling of the people, verses one through three, the glory of God. Now, I, I want you to think about, just look at me for a moment, the grumbling of the people and the glory of God. How about that for juxtaposition? This is the context through which we see him provide bread from heaven. I'm gonna walk us through this. I'm gonna summarize the back end. And then there's one lesson. Y'all, I promise you, I'm not exactly what I said. There's 25 lessons. But there's one from this story that I think all the other lessons find their source. And we're gonna land on that. One. Look in your Bibles, Exodus chapter 16, verses one through three, the grumbling of the people. They set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Y'all, they are one month into this trip. One month, they left on the, in the first month, it's now the second month. So they're one month, about just you know, 30 days plus into this trip. They grumbled about water last week. Now they're grumbling about food. You'll note they're gonna grumble about water again as you read the story through. 
And it's easy for us. It's easy for me, honestly, to, to, to I read it and I go, are you kidding me? I don't, you know, I go, you people saw God do things that no human being in the history of the world to ever see again, the parting of the Red Sea, the, the destruction of Pharaoh and his chariots, the 10 plagues. I mean, just, you know, just last week, I mean, we're just talking just a few days ago, you saw the bitter water become sweet and you wanna go, oh my word, what, what's with you people? Which is why it's always, always appropriate to read our Bibles with one eye on the text and one eye in the mirror because it's us. It's me, I'll speak for me. When life goes awry, when things don't go as I hope, when the worst things happen, when I don't know how this is gonna turn out, when I, when I don't see a way out, I don't naturally, I don't naturally go to the God's faithfulness in my past to hold me in my present. It just naturally, it's like, well, God's faithfulness, you know, immunizes me from my grumbling. That's not the way my life works. And I don't think that's the way our lives work. I'm so like the Israelites, y'all. And you know their story, okay? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Moses intercedes. Whew. Water to drink, grumble, grumble, grumble. Moses intercedes, food to eat. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Enemy's gonna kill us, Moses intercedes. It, it just goes over and over and over again. Now, biblically, they're not starving. So let's start there. Okay, we could logically and biblically, we know they're not starving. Well, how do you know? Well, logically, they, they're one month in. And then, you know, when we think about how they left, we go back to Exodus, you don't have to turn there, we have it on the screen, Exodus 12, um, 38, describes them leaving and it says this, a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. I mean, they had plenty, they did not go through their supply of animals in 30 days. Psalm 78, and this is the one, if you'll read Psalm 78, you'll know the sermon before we teach it. Because Psalm 78 looks back on these events and the psalmist is reflecting on, well, they did this. Let me tell you what was underneath why they did that. And so when you look at Psalm 78, we get a picture of what's going on. And Psalm 78, verse 18 says this, they, this is, this is what we're, the story we're reading. He's explaining it. They stubbornly tested God in their hearts demanding the foods they craved. Okay, and we're not starving to death out here, but we're craving something really bad. I said it last week, Rob says it week after week, we'll say it all the way through this and till the cows come home. The problem is not, nor ever will be, our thirst or our hunger or out there. Where's the problem? for humanity in the heart. It's who we, thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices, whole heart is where the problem is. Well, how does a God who, who graciously delivers his people from bondage, how does he respond to grumbling children? Well, that's verses four to seven. Notice it reads, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, 
I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what, it, what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? Grumbling. Um, he notes here, and he'll say it later, when we grumble against God's leaders, we grumble against the Lord. You know, grump, it's one thing to groan, it's another to grumble. See, when we groan, uh, if you want to know how to groan, read the Psalms. There's a groaning that's so right and good. But when it slips into grumbling, there's a hard attitude and accusation against God. When, when we think of grumbling, let me give you another word, whining. What's the one thing parents just, it's like chalkboard, fingers on the chalkboard. When our kids whine. Kids, I'm not even speaking to you right now, I'm speaking to us as parents because we, as God's children, why? How does God respond? He rains bread from heaven in this instance, graciously. He shows them his glory by providing what they most need. Something really significant is happening under the current. And, and we, this is what we can't miss. So what's happening under the current, these with them whining this. The food they are craving is not the food that will satisfy their soul. I'm gonna say that again. The food they're craving is not the food that will satisfy their hearts. It'll fill their stomach. It won't last it will not touch their hearts. Think about it this way. They're craving the food of Egypt. It just says it. They want, want to eat the Egypt. When you stop thinking about it, you step back and you go, well, that's the food of bondage. That's what you're craving? Are you crazy? Until we look with our other eye in the mirror. And you and I, when we crave anything other than God, or look to anything other than God for satisfaction, let's just own it. We're craving the meat pot of Egypt. And therefore God, do you notice how the story's unfolding? He takes them into the wilderness to change their appetite. What do you mean he takes, well, do you notice that when, 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 when you're cruising through life, do you notice you, that, that you're, you're satisfied with the things of the world? I'm gonna tell you something. When the bottom falls out, do you notice what happens to your appetite? You start pleading for God to meet you in that pain and in that loss. You see, so God takes us into the wilderness to change our appetites so that we would be, what? Weaned from the food of Egypt and find our satisfaction in bread from heaven. He's not taking them there to deprive them. And may I say to you, in your wilderness right now, and there's no one in the room that's not in some, he's not there to deprive you. 
He's there to give you himself because only himself can satisfy the deepest needs of the heart. Well, you know, you know how the story unfolds. I'm gonna walk it through quickly. For the next 40 years, every morning, God provides, what is it? Manna. He provides food in this little window of time between when the dew rises and the sun gets too high and it melts it off. So there's a little window, you gotta get it. You gotta go get it while it's there. God instructs them to get an omer. An omer is about two quarts. Just think of a gallon, a half gallon of milk. I kind of think of it this way. Think of it because my daughter Sally used to make this all the time. I, I think of it as just a little uh, pizza dough you go buy at the store. Ready made, they get, so they get, go get a pizza dough. If you got two people in your family, get two pizza doughs. If you got 29, get 29 pizza doughs. That's what they do every morning. Verse 18 Chapter 16, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Key words there, nothing left over and no lack. No, no leftover, no lack. Exactly what you need in the moment. Everybody didn't go by that per se. Notice verses 19 and 20. Moses said, let no one leave any of it over till morning, but they didn't listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning and it bred worms and stank and Moses was angry with them. Y'all, the, the, what he's showing us here is this, the, the manna, it couldn't be stored. You, you, you can't hoard it and keep it. Now, um, I want you to think about them and, and their context. This is a people under bondage for 430 years. This is a people who, you know, I mean, scraped out a meal every day. This is a people for, for, for 430 years. If they had a little left over, they saved it because who knows if we got anything tomorrow. Do you know what I'm saying? I in the mirror, how do we, do we, do we live in that moment or are we just kind of holding it up for, for tomorrow, so to speak? They, this is hard to break, hard habit to break, is it not? To hoard it and keep it so you got more for tomorrow because it's gonna run out. They had been conditioned by life to do everything they could do to get through the day and to grab everything they could so that they have something for tomorrow. Which brings us to a... Uh, consideration, if I may, of, of the one lesson. And again, there's way more. But can I offer this one that I think it's, the, it's almost like the, the, the ground from which all the lessons of the manna find their source. Um, Post-World War II, uh, Japan was, of course, devastated. I'm half Japanese, so this story really interests me and always has. But uh, they had nothing. You talk about scarcity, as any war-ravaged nation would be. They had nothing. But they did have ingenuity. And so post-World War II, uh, Japan began to apply that ingenuity. And if you're, the younger people in the room won't remember this, but, but those of us who are a little bit older know how life was lived in these days. But I want to tell you something. In the 70s and 80s, uh, you didn't really want the American product. Let me tell you what the product you wanted. You wanted it made where? In Japan. 
I mean, they, they excelled everyone, 70s, 80s, early, that was, Japan was the innovator. And that Japan was, the, you want a car that's gonna last a long time? Nothing, I'm not throwing us under the bus in the USA, but it was get a Japanese car. So where did that come from? Well, historians look back and, and they'll note that, the, that there was one man who pretty much laid the foundation for that. His name was Taichi Ono. He worked for Toyota. And um, so, so what he did was he, he arranged, this is a simple picture of it. He structured their assembly line for making a car in this way. It's, it takes over 30,000 parts to make an average car, 30,000 parts. And the way everybody made cars in those days was you go buy all 30,000 30, parts for every car you make and you store them in a big, let's just warehouse. So you got all this, all these parts and all the money it costs to put them in the warehouse. And then over here on the assembly line, whenever you got to the time you needed to put the door handle on, well, you went to the giant warehouse and got the door handles and brought them over and put them on. Now, now Taichiono said this. He, said, he, he decided, let's, let's make our cars in such a way that we don't buy or store the door handles. No, until the moment we need them, we buy them, they bring them to the assembly line and they make them, Okay. And, and in this way, you know, for those of you without, you know, not thinking of the business mindset, I hope this makes sense. In that way, we don't store everything and invest all that money. Instead, we make cars so efficiently, so mistake-free that when we need the bolt that holds the cup holder, it comes just in time, which you, you guys know this, all, you can't get through business school without learning just-in-time inventory. Absolutely revolutionized manufacturing. You just get it when you need it. Now, why do I tell that story? Because the life of faith is just-in-time life. It's just-in-time life. It's never gonna be early. It's never gonna be late. It's gonna be just in time. It's gonna be all you need. And there's an endless supply. Think of it like this. Love can't be stored. Forgiveness can't be stored. Mercy can't be stored. Grace can't be stored. You can't store hope up, you know, store it up and use it on a rainy day. Forgiveness can't be stored. Life can't be stored. God is each of these in limitless supply. And therefore, when you need joy, peace, patience, when you need God, he's there in limitless supply and he's always there. Yeah, but I know, I, but I've got issues and I do literally have issues that are, that are floating around in my future that I gotta go deal with someday and I'm just dreading it and I'm afraid. I can't store it up for that. It's now, it's in this moment. He's everything and all things, you and I 
need. And so the principle of which I think sources all the principles of the manna story is really simple. Trust God in your now. Trust God in your now. What a lesson for this moment in history. Who of us, you know, how is this whole COVID, how is this all the social, how is this gonna turn out? I don't know. Have we ever lived with such a level of uncertainty? Probably, I mean, we're not the first generation to experience something like these things. But the lesson of the wilderness, this story in particular is, trust God now. Can I make it even more granular? Uh, It's not even trust God now and he'll be there tomorrow. Trust God now, right now, and uh, he, he will be trustworthy this afternoon. But don't go to this afternoon yet. Stay right here. See, it's, it's, he's, right, he's right here. He's now. All you need is now. God himself is the infinite, limitless supply of all we need. And he's ours never to forsake us and leave us. Trust God in your now. There's the lesson out of this story, I suggest. Let's close our Bibles. Let's get our Lord's table elements in our hands. And those of you in the room and, and online, if you would get those elements, I'm gonna get mine, you know, ours, we're, we're using these portable ones. So I'm peeling, the, peeling this off to get to the bread and I'm peeling the top off of my, my juice here so that I'm prepared for the table. All right. The Lord's table elements in our hands. I cited it once, I'm gonna go back there. Psalm 78. So verse 18, they're craving what they want. Listen to verse 19. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Y'all, if you're a parent, that's, that's like your child asking you, do you love me? I mean, you talk about something to break your heart. Like you, you so love your child. There, there, well, can, well, God, can you set a table in the wilderness? Can you, whew, that's a question to take your breath away. And it's a question we do often ask. Said another way, it's like, God, can you satisfy our hunger when there's, there's no food? God, can you bring me through this rock and hard place? Because I see no way out. Well, he, 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 he does, doesn't he? You talk about a spread, he sets a table. How? Well, he gives them bread from heaven. Okay, this is the wilderness story. Think of a timeline. I want you to fast forward thousands of years, thousands of years. And we're now in, uh, you know, 30, 30 AD. And the ancestors of those who asked the question, God, can you spread a table in wilderness? Well, their they're great, you know, their children way down the line, thousands of years later, they're under bondage again. The Jews are under bondage again. It's not, it's not Babylon, you know, it's not Egypt, it's Rome. And, and, uh, 
And this man shows up and says, he's the Messiah. He's the one that God had promised he would send to deliver them from bondage, to set them free. And John, in John's gospel, I just wanna read this to you. He records a conversation they had, which is fascinating. Listen to this conversation between the Jewish religious leaders and the rabbi Jesus. This is John chapter six, the rabbis said, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never Last week, they complained about water. This week, they're grumbling about food. You know, the next story is water again. Jesus comes and says, I'm the bread. When you eat me, when you believe in me, you never hunger nor thirst. Now, we know we get physically hungry. That's That's how we're made. What's he speaking of? He's speaking of the cravings we get for things that don't satisfy. And he says, I meant I'm the only bread. And the bread they were scraping up, I mean, it was a picture. You see, God, they were picking up the pizza dough, so to speak. Do you understand? That was foreshadowing the bread, which is the God man, Jesus. And so you all, we hold this bread and cup in our hands and you know, we dare not take it lightly, symbolic of the body and the blood of Jesus. Father, thank you for sending bread from heaven to, to our forefathers, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago and 2000 years ago in sending the true bread of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, who died the death we deserved, who was buried and rose again, who by his life, death and resurrection forgives us of all sin, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, clothes us in his righteousness. He suffered the death we earned that we might never suffer that death. And Jesus, by the person of the Holy Spirit lives in us, always present, available, limitless in his supply of our heart's deepest longings. Lord Jesus, we remember your coming on that day to the cross and your coming again one day as we take the bread and eat, take and eat the bread.
And Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood shed, your life given, that we might never be separated from the Father. In taking this cup and bread, we are remembering backwards to your coming. We are also remembering and proclaiming forward that you are coming again to set all things right. For your life given on our behalf, we say thank you, take and drink. You know, when we take the Lord's table each week, you all, it's a reminder of our dependence upon the bread of heaven. You don't have to take the elements per se, but may I say that when you walk out of here and tomorrow and your tomorrows, the, the, the reminder to us is take Jesus every moment, every moment, every moment, for he alone satisfies the hunger of our heart. Let's stand together. I'm gonna to invite those of you at home. Would you stand please as well? Why do I have a stand? Because I think it's absolutely appropriate that we not leave this morning without a proper response to the goodness and grace of God in our wilderness. Why would we uh, sing the song we're about to sing? Well, we, we, this song in particular we choose because in our wildernesses and in the wilderness and, their, and when them in their wilderness, uh, they lost sight of God's promise. You, you remember what God said? I'm promising you a land flowing with milk and honey. They, he promised them the Elam, the picture of that. Well, in the midst of wilderness, we lose sight of that promise. So, so as I said last week, life on this planet is wilderness but it's not home, it's not home, it's not home, we're not, we're not home. God's promise is the promised land. So while we walk in our wilderness, y'all, it's not where the story ever ends. No, it ends in promised land. And when wilderness seems impossible, right? And it does, it does, it does. We want to remind ourselves there is nothing our God cannot do to bring us home and he will.